You're listening to the Geriatric Mamas Podcast with Jessica Raziri and Sonia Tapley. Our little peasant recording. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this, is great. this is very professional. Well, yeah. good. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, I can't wait till we have a producer right now. I know. Like, I write the outlines, but Jessica and I both produce. We basically edit. That's our production. It's a what lot does of work. your producer do for you? Like, what are like some of the things that they do? I bet. So it's like- I have him. Uh, so we go on Riverside like this, and then uh-huh. he puts it together. He edits it. He sends it to me. He tells me when it's ready. I'm sorry, my dog's coming in. He tells me when it's ready and I just, you know, give him the clips that I want. And then he makes like two clips for social media for me. And then he does like the thumbnail and oh. you know, anima- animation and all that. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're yeah. doing all of this on top of managing um, full-time yeah. jobs and yeah. babies oh and life. And it's just, <laughs> it's so much work. It's so much work. <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I feel the same. I mean, I have a practice and I have this podcast and then I have a group practice and then I have my books and all that. So I know it's like a lot to juggle. Yes. Children. Three kids. No, no, they're they're grown up. They're grown up. Yeah. No babies. Yeah. So you don't have have like the whole diaper change. Like you don't have any of that. No, 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 (laughs) no. Decades ago. Okay. All done with that. Um, My goodness. Well, this is episode. Yes, it is. And also too, they're always going to be your babies. So, yeah, you know, of course, regardless always. of age, always a I baby. Have to, I have to reach up to hug them now instead of <laughs> reaching down to hug. <laughs> um, so this is episode 25, which is yeah. crazy. We're climbing up there. Um, yeah. And it's the last recording before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe it. It's like literally creeped up on us. Right. I feel like I was telling like one of my work friends this, that it's like, it's not like, like Christmas is on the same day every single year. It's like, we know this is coming, but yet every single year, I feel like I'm just so surprised that it's here. <laughs> like, like I'm yeah, just so shocked. You're like, like, what's you, happening? Yeah. And it's like, but it's like, it's, I, you know about this. I had a whole year. Like it's, it's the same thing every year. Like, why are you always so shocked? And here I am again, shocked that it's like right. days away. So, right. so funny. <laughs> well, well so Sonia, funny. do you yeah. want to introduce who the uh, other voices that our listeners are hearing? <laughs> so today we have Miss Lisa Schumann. Lisa is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who is now a family building expert, award-winning researcher, therapist, podcast host, and author. She reached out to us uh, to be a guest back in early November and is both an expert guest and a geriatric mama who was unable to conceive her babies naturally, and she has three children. Lisa is joining us today to share how she helps hopeful parents-to-be find their way forward during an incredibly challenging process with confidence and with joy. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're so glad to be out. <laughs> We're really excited about this episode for sure. We are. I know. I was like telling Sonia, I was like, are we smart enough to talk to her? <laughs> oh, of course. 
I'm like, yeah, I got you covered of there. Course. That's why we asked yeah. her to come up with the questions that we need to know the answers to. <laughs> so we do have um, we do have listeners, you know, reach out to us via email a lot of times just to let us know that there are donorship situations out there because Jessica and I went through IVF and Jess went through IUI as well. So we don't personally have that experience. And a lot of our Hopisode guests so far haven't had to go through that. Um, so we are so excited to have what you do represented here along. And I know you also represent surrogacy and adoption. So mm-hmm. you can speak on so many topics that our listeners are looking to hear about. So with that being said, how do you we'll jump right jumping? in? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll jump right in. So I will, I have the first question. So um, tell us how you got involved with working in the field of infertility. Oh boy. Uh, it was a <laughs> long time ago, um, probably more than 25 years ago, certainly maybe close to 30. So fertility treatment was very different back then. Um, you know, it was very, very different. And I tried to get pregnant on my own. My husband had sperm issues and I had issues that required surrogacy. And I talk all about this in my book, Building Your Family, which is available on Amazon and everywhere else. Um, And it was a really difficult journey. A lot of miscarriages and other issues. We went through surrogacy and that didn't work either. And then we ended up adopting our three children. And um, my fertility doctor then said, you know, I think you should consider going into this field because I think you could help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I had analytic training. I had a license in substance abuse training. I'd worked with families. I did so many things, but never fertility treatment. So I went to the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and I took a, the courses that they had at the time. And now I'm actually helping to form some of those courses, which is great. Um, and I continued to learn about it. And I decided I really enjoy it. And I've never looked back. I've worked in-house for uh, several fertility treatment centers. My last one, I was director of mental health services for Loom Fertility and for Gay Parents-to-Be. And I've published a lot of research and done a lot of really exciting things. And through my experience, I've found that a lot of people who go through fertility treatment, as you guys know, it's very stressful and depressing for a lot of people. And so people will say to me, well, I'm really surprised to hear what you're telling me. How come nobody has said that before? And so I decided after all of these decades that maybe the next step is just to try to amplify some of the information that's so valuable to people by putting it in a book and putting it on my podcast, which is now called Donor Conception Conversations. But at the beginning of the year, we'll be called Building Your Family because- Oh, cute. I, I love yes, that. Yes. Me too. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So it's it's- going to be the same name as the book and represent more people because people are asking questions about surrogacy and all sorts of other family building treatment. I think it'll be really easy for people to find. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. That's so cool. We're very excited about it. Yeah. We are too. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Lisa. 
about well i uh as i said i'm a therapist she's a like i just did well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding that's right i'm a therapist a researcher and yeah. you know my goal is to try to help people have an easier journey to parenthood and a better yeah. parenting experience um i have a, a book called the life book which is also on amazon my life book it helps people journey yes, uh, yeah. journal and chronicle their stories for so they have a vehicle to help them talk to their children about their yeah. origins and so i'm really focused on helping people build the modern family because yeah. not not all of us can do do it the old-fashioned way right it's really smart you're looking at it from all angles i know mm -hmm. we had a surrogacy uh, expert on i think it was episode 10 and she had a couple of books that she read to her daughters who were born via surrogacy but it's really amazing that you've covered all of these things, you're just one person, you're just one person. <laughs> and you've thought of all of these things. Mm. It's amazing. Well, it's um, a labor of love. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you definitely have to love it. I feel like a lot of people that we're running into that are in this, I mean, they are personally connected to it some, some way or another, you know, they're, right. they're very, it's personal, mm -hmm. you know, right. and yes. they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's what drives them to do. I mean, that's why like, you know, Sonia and I, you know, we started off the episode kind of like mm -hmm. griping about like, we're doing this, we're doing that. It's so much work, but it's like, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love it. If it wasn't personal to right. us, if we weren't passionate about us mm -hmm. and that's truly what drives us. Right. Um, so it's like to you, it's like being an outsider and looking at all the things that you do. It sounds like a lot, but probably to you, you're just like, this is what I do. Like, right. you know what I mean? You just mm -hmm. do it because you love it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know, oh, sorry. Did you say? Nope. Okay. No, I, was, um, I, was just, I was just going to say, and also when I see a problem, I want to help people with it because people struggle so much. You know, the internet is full of misinformation and people don't know where to go in and get the right information. There's a lot of like coaches out there that, you know, are good, decent coaches, but some people just share their experience because that's their experience and they don't really have, you know, the, the, um, information about everything they need to know for the, their clients. Mm -hmm. Some people just post information about their surrogacy agency or their donor conception agency or their fertility clinic. Right. And may, maybe it's not, it, it doesn't look exactly the way it should. And so mm -hmm. I really want to help people kind of clear away the issues and, and be able to achieve their goals as easily as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd kind of like to, um, if you can expand on it a little bit more. So your book, Building Your Family, The Complete Guide to Donor Conception, what led you to writing that book as well as creating a podcast? So it was you know, much of what I've mentioned that I feel that there's so much that people don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and working in a, a large fertility clinic and seeing thousands of people who are pursuing donor conception and donors and uh, also uh, people who are going through surrogacy i've seen so much and you know in my last in my last job working at Alum Fertility, we were able to develop an open donor program. I developed an embryo donation program. And so I did a lot of things to try to help people, but yet I was still seeing over and over again, the same problems come up for people and they just didn't know where to turn. Mm -hmm. So I decided I really need to put this information in a book and in a podcast so that it can reach a wider audience. So more people mm -hmm. can get help because 
most people just don't know where to look. You know, social media can be very depressing and, you know, the internet can be very frustrating and people just don't know what to do. So I've just decided that I I have to put this all in a book so that people Mm -hmm. can learn and kind of have a guide to help them through the process, not to mention the fact that, you know, when you're going through fertility treatment, it's so stressful that people often see their doctors for the first time and all they hear is like those Charlie Brown characters, wow, wow, wow. You know, they uh-huh. can't even process right. what their doctor's lot. telling them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And, you know, and, you know, who remembers their 10th grade biology class, right? Nobody. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. there's so much to learn and it's really helpful to have a guide that you can look at and say, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I, I can do. This, these are the things I haven't thought about yet. And mm-hmm. people, when they're anxious, they can't be clear-headed enough to think about, well, how should I make this decision? They mm-hmm. make it make emotional decisions, and sometimes they regret them later. Mm-hmm. And these are decisions you can't unwind. Once you make these decisions, you can't unwind them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many people with regrets and um, hardships and feeling like if I had only known, I would have done it differently. So I want to help people have an easier path if possible. Right. What's coming to mind right now is, um, we talked about this story before, but what's coming to mind is those poor, there was this gay couple, this of men, they were, I was thinking of that too. Yeah. (laughs) So they had gone the surrogacy route to have their babies, but they had gone through an agency in Mexico, not realizing that surrogacy was illegal in Mexico. So these women were actually being treated horribly. They were doing it voluntarily, but they were being treated horribly and they weren't getting the medical attention that they needed. And also they couldn't get passports to get their babies back home to the United States after they were born. So I don't know if you heard that story, but that's just one of those things where you can't take that back, you know? So Mm -hmm. I want to look into that a little bit more though, because so I'm a huge like reality um, show junkie mm-hmm. and I watched 90 day fiance and there's actually a gay couple on there mm-hmm. that are, they live in Mexico and they are in the process of going through surrogacy mm-hmm. and they're okay. And it's like working out. So I wonder yeah. like when that other story happened it and like, if a, it's it legal in some places, some parts, right. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Cause I saw it. I was like, wait, I thought it was illegal. Do you know? It could be Lisa? also because they were going from the United States to Mexico and vice versa. I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Well, some places in many places, uh, it's not legal, but also mm-hmm. you brought up another issue about human trafficking, which is mm-hmm. really difficult. And there are an increasing number of people who are being trafficked for both surrogacy and egg donation. Mm. So that, that is becoming, starting to become a big problem. But what I, and, and we do have some, there are fertility clinics in the U S who have branches in uh, Mexico. So they could see their fertility doctor in Mexico and then come back to the U S for actual, the actual treatment and transfer. So, Mm -hmm. but it really is important to try to have whatever the medical treatment you're going to have in the U S because we Mm -hmm. have the FDA, we have guidelines, we have ways to try to put guardrails on some of these problems here that you don't have outside of the U S I actually Mm -hmm. even had a call from um, a family friend who said, I want to freeze my eggs. And I, I heard about this great place 
in Mexico I want to go to, but there's no reason for it. We have some great mm -hmm. fertility clinics here and mm -hmm. you really want to make sure that you're following FDA guidelines and that you're going to be able to have access to your eggs, right? You don't want to have them have in the Mexico. problem of having them shipped overseas right. and what's going to happen Gosh. to them. So it's really important to try your best to stay here if possible. I think, you know, our country has a lot of advantages in that way. Mm -hmm. So there are places around the world that do use donor conception, that do have fertility treatment, that do have surrogacies. So I'm not mm -hmm. saying that's not possible anywhere, but there are a lot of countries where it's really not a great idea. So I think if you can, and we have, you know, we have a huge amount of, of people who come to the U.S. for that reason. I've seen people yeah. from every country in the world come here to try to do fertility treatment for that reason. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it really makes sense if you can. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Sonia? Um, <laughs> it's like, you're up, Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, how has the field changed since you started? So it's changed enormously. Uh, when I was trying to build my family, surrogacy was not uh, something that was common on the East Coast. There was there were surrogacy agencies on the West Coast, but on the East Coast, there were it was very very difficult, and the contracts were not boilerplate so the surrogates didn't know what to expect and we had so many problems with our surrogates as a result of that now it's it's possible on the east coast in several states and then i was uh, fortunate enough to testify before the state senate judiciary committee to legalize surrogacy in in new york and so i was chosen to do that which was really exciting and now we have surrogacy in new york and while it's still new and we our laws are not perfect. We, we still need to make some adjustments. At least it's possible now. And so I think it's something that, it, that people can access. And it's particularly important. I mean, it's important for people who need a uterus, who are having problems with their uterus, who are women. But also, mm -hmm. you know, surrogacy has jumped so, so far. It's, it's jumped, uh, you know, I think over 200% since um, the legalization of gay marriage. And so now we have this opportunity to have people who are, you know, same-sex couples and trans families to have mm -hmm. children. And there, there have been a lot of studies published that, that show that gay families and queer families in general do, do tend to plan for their families now, whereas before it wasn't the case. Many people felt like, well, that's not, not going to be possible for me. And fortunately, now we're seeing more and more young people who want to have a family. So that's really wonderful. And that's, you know, changed quite a bit. And, you know, we'll see what's happened. Unfortunately, you know, the, the problems in legislation and the personhood laws in this country may make a lot of things difficult in fertility mm -hmm. treatment in the you know coming years, and we hope that that's not going to get worse. It's already become very problematic, yeah. so we'll see what happens. Um, but it's really important that we try. We all try. Everybody who's listening to this podcast to you know use our votes wisely and to legislate when we can because there's a lot of difficulties that are happening out there in the world that can you know really ruin people's chances of having a healthy pregnancy, having freedom, mm -hmm. and you know having their families. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a really good point. And then, you know, going back to what you were saying about how like, you know, now that like a lot of like states are have legalized like gay marriage and a lot of like gay couples are like planning, whereas before that really wasn't so much the case, or maybe it was the case, we just didn't really hear about it as much. Um, I think like, with the popularity of surrogacy and all these other methods of conception, I, you know, can only imagine that there's going to be more resources for funding as well um, out there too. I know we, we touched on a few of those last episode, but I know not every insurance covers things. Um, insurance companies can just be like a nightmare to, to deal with. So my hope for the future is that with this becoming more of, you know, a thing and less taboo and more of like, okay, like this is just what it is, just another method, not a big deal. It doesn't make it right. doesn't make it wrong. It's just literally just another method that there's going to be coming a, a lot more resources to make it more attainable, right. you know, because it's like surrogacy is really expensive in the right. The understanding that a lot of people yes. have is that it's for the rich, it's for the, it's for celebrities, for celebrity. it's for, yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. yeah, it's yeah. it's not attainable. And so I think the more um, people talk about it, the more popular it is, the more attainable it it will be. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, at this year at our conference at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, it was announced that the cha they're changing the name from infertility being something that's just for people who have a medical diagnosis of being unable to conceive to anyone who wants to conceive but can't conceive kind of the old-fashioned way. Because for many people who are going through fertility treatment, let's say you're a lesbian couple, you have to prove that you're infertile right now. So oh. that means you have to go through many... I didn't so even think of that. Yes, mm -hmm. so you have to prove that you're trying at home, which of course you can't if you're a lesbian couple, right. um, that you're trying at home and you can't get pregnant. So the only way they can prove that mm -hmm. is by actually going through the IUI process several times and documenting it so that oh eventually the insurance companies can say, yes, you're infertile. Mm -hmm. So it, it is discriminatory, right? And mm -hmm. so um, so fortunately, the, the, the definition has changed and we're hoping that that helps the insurance companies kind of wake up. Right now, we do have something that's been new in our country for, you know, the last decade or so is the rise of these small companies that are um, small, like insurance companies that attach themselves to other larger insurance companies mm -hmm. to provide benefits. And, you know, Google and Amazon and all, a lot of those companies, Starbucks started years ago, and more and more companies, Walmart just started. So there are more and more companies that are kind of jumping on and mm -hmm. purchasing these benefits for their employees. Some of them are incredibly generous and cover surrogacy, and some of them don't, but they'll cover mm -hmm. fertility treatments. So mm -hmm. we are, we are hopefully moving in a better direction. Yeah, for sure. One can hope. Right. Yes. Um, so in your new book, Building Your Family, The Complete Guide to Donor Conception, you have a framework for how to choose a donor. Can you share that with us? Sure. So this is, um, you know, one of, I think, the highlights of the book. And I think it's, it's really helpful for people to think about. So right now, what very often happens is someone comes to treatment, if they're 
planning to get pregnant in a heterosexual relationship and it's not working for them and they have uh, they're diagnosed with with diminishing ovarian reserve or some other reason why they can't get pregnant with their own eggs and um, or own sperm then very often the doctor will say you need a, um, a donor egg or donor sperm and if you're in a gay couple or if you're a single parent then you know, from the get-go, you know you need this. Now, very often what people will do is look for a donor. So you could either have a donor who, with an egg donor, somebody that you know, or through an agency or through your clinic. With a sperm donor, it could be somebody you know or through a sperm bank. And what people often do, particularly if they're not using somebody they know, is choose a donor who feels comfortable for them. Now, they don't typically know that, they go onto the website, they look at the agency or the sperm bank or the egg bank website, and it's kind of like a dating site for them. You know, they're looking at all this flurry of, of people, and they're looking at hair color and eye color and all sorts of things. And what's happening, even though they don't realize it, is they're feeling uncomfortable because they have to choose the genetics of someone else to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable thing, right? This is a somebody who's a stranger to you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to use their genetics to create the most important or, you know, maybe aside from your partner, the most important relationship in your life, your intimate relationship with your child. Mm-hmm. And so very often, without knowing it, people will choose somebody who makes them comfortable. Now, the sperm and egg banks will understand that. And so they will increase that difficulty inadvertently. I'm sure they're not planning to, but they will show you celebrity lookalikes or give you information about this donor and maybe if their hobbies and what's interesting to them and what's what their parents are like and what's, you know, how close they are to their best friend. These all are things that you cannot control. And these are all things that are not heritable, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look at our ex-president, you know, Bill Clinton, who's, you know, the the Rhodes Scholar, President of the United States, highest IQ of any president in history, his brother's an alcoholic and can't keep a job, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The two princes of England look very different from each other. Mm -hmm. So even though people say, that's the person I want, Mm -hmm. it's not the person you're necessarily going to get right? Mm -hmm. We are all a combination of, you know, the five generations before us, right? Mm -hmm. We could have our mother's eyes and our father's nose and our grandmother's big earlobes and our grandfather's bushy eyebrows, right? We could have all of these things. And if you look at a family, three kids don't look identical to each other, Mm -hmm. right? So this business about looking at somebody and saying, oh, she's really nice, or he's really interesting, or they're very athletic is not going to help us. And even though it's nice, you want to like your donor, it's really important to like your donor. You want to say good things about your donor to your child. You may meet them one day, your child might meet them one day. It's not the thing to look at first. So what people often look at last is what I recommend first. So what people often don't consider is psychological screening. So Mm -hmm. the American Society for Reproductive Medicine does have guidelines for psychological screening, and those guidelines are very important. 
doing a background check is not going to give you all the answers because mm-hmm. somebody needs to be convicted of a crime in order to, um, to, for you to, to discover that they are a criminal. So somebody can be psychotic and commit criminal acts all day. If they're not convicted, you would never know it. But we do have a, a, a psychological process, which mm-hmm. includes an interview and a psychological test, which both screens for psychopathology, but mm-hmm. also there's two indicators for deception. There's an overt and covert lying scale in there. So if the donor is trying to be somebody he's not, or if he's trying to hide aspects of himself that he doesn't want us to see, we would see that in the test and we would throw it out altogether if... Mm-hmm. He, we find out that he's lying, right? Because he could be lying about his medical information or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. So we recommend the first step is to make sure that that psychological screening is done. Not all sperm banks do it. Not all um, clinics do it. Not everyone does it. So that is very important. Then the next step is to look for things that are heritable risks. So for example... When you go to the doctor and you say, okay, I want an egg donor, a sperm donor, they're going to look at the genetically linked partner, and then they're going to look at the donor and say, are you a carrier for any difficulties that this person's a carrier for because you don't want to double the risk for your child? Mm -hmm. So once you do that, your genetic counselor will say, okay, you're on your way. But then what? I recommend that you use the same thought process to choose your donor. Mm -hmm. So what are the same difficulties that are both in your family, but in the donor's family, right? Everybody dies of something, right? Right. Your donor's going to be healthy. People say, oh, well, my donor's healthy. Of course he is. He's, you know, 22 years old and a healthy guy and he's passed like the basic screening. But what did his parents (laughs) die of, right? If he Mm -hmm. has colon cancer in his family and you have colon cancer in your family, maybe that's not the best donor for you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to double the risk for your child. Mm -hmm. So I would look at those things first. Yes, some people die at 110 of old age, but usually people die of something. So the question is, what are those difficulties? Mm -hmm. Then the next step would be to look at other difficulties that maybe are not as serious, but things that you would prefer not to have. Do you have Um, asthma or diabetes in your family? Do you have a propensity for Alzheimer's or some other difficulties? What are those issues in your family? Mm -hmm. And then I would also look at whether or not that donor is open, if they're willing to, we we call it now directed, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has changed their their, uh, language, and now it's called directed. So if this donor is willing to be, uh, or non-directed, if this donor is willing to be open, at some point willing to be open to contact with that child, it's mm-hmm. better for you, it's better for the child, and you know we can talk about that another time, but it's really important to share this information with your child, and it's important that you, if you can, have somebody who you can contact at some point. Now, yeah. not everybody yeah. can do that. Mm-hmm. There's a limit. There's a very small amount of people with col- of color who are donors in this country, and there's um, a right now a shortage of donors. So not everybody has that privilege to be able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You may not be able to, but if you can, then I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. And then after you do all of those things, then look at: Do I like this guy? Is he funny? Is he interesting? Is she? Does she look like, you know, my, you know, my sister or whatever is important to you. But remember, 
you're getting their genetics. Mm -hmm. So if you want somebody who's tall, but everybody in their family is short and that donor short tall, you're going to get the short gene, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to, I think, think about it in a different way. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't choose somebody that you like, but I think it's important to choose the things that you have some control over first and then the things you don't have control over afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of that is just really insightful. And it, like you said, it's probably it's probably what you're asking people to look at first is probably exactly what they're looking at last. So it's just yes. very good information for sure. Very helpful. Because when I've spoken with people who have had an embryo or an egg donor, they did kind of talk to me about picking and choosing according to looking like a member of their family. So, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You could have oh, just been welcome. like... You could have been like, oh, you want to know? Buy my book. So really appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I think it's really important. And, you know, the other thing it does for people mm -hmm. is if they look at it this way, it, it relieves their anxiety. Because mm -hmm. when you're looking at this huge sea of donors, you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. How do I even start? Right? right this way it starts to narrow the list for you yeah. so mm -hmm. by the time you're done going through this five-step process it's really narrowed you down to a few donors yeah. so it really helps your anxiety also yeah no yeah. for sure um well before we move on to the next part um can you remind our listeners again where they can find your books so my uh my life book is on amazon Mm -hmm. And Building Your Family is everywhere. It's on Audible. You can listen to it if you're somebody who likes to empty That's your dishes me. and listen to books. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. me. Yep. I like to fold the laundry and listen to books, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and But you can find it on Audible. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, any of your the booksellers, local booksellers, or on Amazon or online. It's everywhere right now. So, so cool. Congratulations, great. by the way. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Um, so in the next part, we want to talk about some geriatric mama celebrities who have had their babies via donor, uh, donor conception. So many celebrities have started their families through donor conception. Carrie Washington just came forward with her story. And Camille, is it Camille Gotti? Gwadi, thank you, <laughs> um, who endorsed Lisa's book, actually, has been very open about donor conception. Carrie Washington has detailed her parents telling her that she was conceived via sperm donor and admitted that she had no idea beforehand. Mm -hmm. The American actress, 46, spoke to Louise Minchin. Am I saying that correctly? Minchin? Oh. Yeah. On Fridays, I'm horrible at names. You're going <laughs> to please correct me as we go. On Fridays, Lorraine about the revel uh, on Fridays, Lorraine mm -hmm. about the revelation and how it inspired her new memoir, Thicker Than Water. She explained that her parents only told her about told her around five years ago that her beloved father, Earl, was not her biological parent because they had used sperm. A sperm oh, my goodness. A sperm donor. <laughs> I can do this. I haven't even been drinking, I promise. <laughs> I was conceived with the help of a sperm donor, which was, I mean, I had no idea before they told me. It's been a real journey for our family, a journey into truth and also a journey into me discovering more about who I am and how I've been this person. And I think that's part of what the exercise was in writing the memoir. 
Carrie has previously told how she learned for, uh, learned of the family secret when she was invited to participate in an episode of Finding Your Roots hosted on PBS by Dr. Henry Louis Gates. The show used genealogical records and DNA results to track family histories. When I said spit in this tube, they started freaking out, Carrie told the New York Times about her parents' reaction to the DNA test. My mom was like, I didn't know that this was going to happen. The Prophecy Star said her father began having panic attacks and suffered from insomnia and decided to pull out of the show. And it's so sad. Mm -hmm. After being advised by Dr. Gates to reveal the information while the family were still were all still alive, Carrie's parents then told her that they had used an anonymous sperm donor after they had trouble conceiving naturally. Oh man. Imagine. Can you imagine finding out so late in life? And I mean, you know, just finding out because she was doing a show, you know? Yeah, I was going to say finding out that way too. Right. Um, But if they didn't do that, Carrie Washington wouldn't be here. Like how amazing that that was available then. I feel bad too, like, like, you know, putting myself in the parents' shoes also, Mm -hmm. like, because it's probably something in the back of your mind that you're like, I'm going to have this conversation with my child. Right. And then it never happens. At some point, And then yeah. it doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I would be mixed with so many emotions. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Panic attacks for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it may be that their parents never were told, just like, you know, lots of people were told, don't tell your children back then. Right. And maybe that's what they they felt. Um, What's amazing Mm -hmm. is that she's so close with her parents and that's so nice because what we're we're discovering is Mm -hmm. that talking to your children early and often is really the key. And Mm -hmm. there are two circumstances under which people tend to have identity issues. That's one if there's late discovery or accidental Mm -hmm. discovery. Somebody just finds out by accident. And so, and people are finding out by accident because you have 23andMe and Mm Ancestry.com. And now people, people, somebody might call you and say, hey, I'm your sister. And you Mm -hmm. say, what do you mean? You're my sister. Mm -hmm. And so people are finding out accidentally or because there's an issue like that or because there's, you know, um, a a death in the family and somebody Mm -hmm. just kind of spills the beans or a medical issue. So there are a lot of difficult discoveries. And then it it is shocking to your identity. And it does take a lot to be able to recover from that for many people. And fortunately, Carrie Washington is close with her parents and feels Mm -hmm. close to them and they were able to get past this so that was wonderful yeah no that's awesome and you actually brought up a point that I was going to mention too like I can only imagine you know back then when they're saying like don't say anything to your children they could have never predicted that DNA (laughs) you know um, companies were going to be at our disposal of like people like it being a thing of like 23andMe and you know I did 23andMe and I was a little just like yeah. I was convinced my, I was like, I feel like I'm adopted or something. There's no way these are my parents. <laughs> yeah. They're my parents. So, yeah. So you felt that way, but, even though, right. Yeah. yeah. Always, sometimes donor conceived people say that. They say, I always felt yeah. a little bit different. But mm-hmm. you, see, you see, even if you're genetically connected, you can yeah. still have that like, feeling. Still right. be in denial about it. But yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So it's like they could have. mistake your parents or your cousin is just FYI. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm definitely, (laughs) definitely part of that family. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's like they could have never predicted in a million years back then that like this would be a thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure things would have been 
relayed to the families much differently had they known right. that this was going to be, you know, happening in the future. So right. I'm sure that it's definitely opened up a lot of secrets and a lot of families. Not like I say, I don't want it to be like a bad thing, but it's probably opened up a lot of discussions mm-hmm. and conversations with families, you know, mm-hmm. since this is. But the problem is what's really interesting is the 1950s, there was a large number of children adopted in the United States. And at that time, people would go to adoption agencies and they would say, don't tell the children. Yeah, And so then, yes. And then after decades of the children growing up, the children grew up and they Mm -hmm. said, we really wish that you would talk to us in the crib. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to hear this early and often and and for it to be normalized. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we had to learn it all over in donor conception and, and if any, if people are going onto the internet, they'll probably see that there's a lot of donor conceived people who are very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And those people are usually people who have found out uh, accidentally, or they've had Mm -hmm. some other traumatic experience. And so they feel very angry about um, being donor conceived. And Mm -hmm. then of course, there is, you know, this difficulty of the limitations that we do have in this country right now there's no tracking system for donors and so there that's just one of the problems that we have that we need to fix and haven't yet and so as a result there are you know hundreds of um, donor related siblings that people have which mm-hmm. is you know very stressful for people you know you don't want to marry a sibling so oh my god i didn't even think of that you're right mm-hmm. could you imagine it's already yeah. happened where people have grown up in small towns together where they've become friends and they didn't know they were related. It's, and oh it's my, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's like a whole, I feel like that's a whole other episode. Like, yes. That's crazy. I didn't even think of that. Wow. Yeah. I could see Welcome that happening. Future. We Whew. don't have flying cars, but we do have 23 and me. Thank, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like if I were to be like starting like the dating world now, I feel like it'd be part of like my first date. Can you spit in this tube, please? <laughs> really quickly. I'm just going to need you to spit in this tube. Yes. Just to so, make sure we're good. No, I do advise people that, that if they are, their children are going to date somebody, they ask them if they're either of their parents were mm-hmm. donors or if they used a donor, because if yeah. they mm-hmm. did, then they have, they really need to take a look. Let's just make sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then to make it even more complicated mm-hmm. when people go through IVF with donor gametes or even without, they very often make many embryos right now mm-hmm. in this country, we have hundreds of thousands of embryos in storage. So when people go through IVF, they want to make a lot of embryos. It's expensive. They want to make sure that they can have their family. So maybe they have, you know, a handful of embryos because they have young eggs or sperm. Mm -hmm. And so now they can make embryos. Mm -hmm. So maybe they complete their family. Maybe they Mm -hmm. use four embryos to make two children. Well, if they have 10 embryos, what are they going to do with the other six? They can freeze them. They can donate them to science, they can discard them, or they can donate them to another family. Very often people have a hard time making this decision mm-hmm. and because even at the beginning, if they are very scientifically minded and they feel like, well, this is just a ball of cells, I don't see this as a human being, once you have your child, very often you look at those embryos and say, wow, it's that different. could be a brother or sister exactly. right, for my mm-hmm. child. And so they freeze them and then they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm -hmm. 
So this year, we had a live birth from a 31-year-old embryo. I heard of that. Yeah, That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. so crazy. But think about these donor-conceived people. So their now they have their sister is the same age as their grandchildren. Yeah. Oh, How crazy. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have donor-conceived siblings yep. who are the same age as them, but could be the same age as their grandchildren. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Science. Yeah. Welcome to 2023. Science. Yes. I know. 24 in a couple of weeks. Yes. So there's a lot, a lot to consider and a lot of things that we have to, I mean, it's wonderful right. that things have changed and that people can have children and that there's so many nice ways to build your family, but you do have these issues, right? That you have, mm-hmm. that we do have to, we do need to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to U.S. actress Camille Guadi, star of Prison Break and Good Doctor, has made no secret of her donor egg baby. She was told of her low ovarian reserve in her late 30s and with her husband underwent five unsuccessful IVF cycles using her own eggs. Sadly, their first donor egg cycle didn't work and they turned to a new donor On her second attempt, despite having just one suitable embryo for transfer, she succeeded. I share my story, she said on Instagram, not because it's unique, but because I think it's something we don't talk about. Camille co-founded the charity Foster a Dream in 2018 to improve the care of foster children. YourIVFJourney.com states, We praise her for that, and we hope her openness about her fertility journey will encourage more celebrities to share their donor egg success stories. So I know Jess um, had asked earlier where um, to find Lisa and her book, but I'm going to share it again. Her website is familybuilding.net. Her Instagram account is at the Center for Family Building, and you can find all of her links in her bio there. But her book, again, is called Building Your Family, The Complete Guide to Donor Conception, which can be found on Amazon and many other platforms pretty much anywhere. Her podcast is called The Donor Conception Conversations. And um, Lisa, you said that in January that's going to be changing. Can you go ahead and tell us what the name will be again? So that that will be changing to the same name as the book, Building Your Mm -hmm. Family, to incorporate surrogacy and fertility treatment in all the ways that the modern family is built. Awesome. That's so exciting. Yes, very exciting. Yes. We're so happy you reached out to us and that we got to have you on the show. This has been amazing. I know. This is awesome. I feel like I could talk to you forever. And I feel like we need to have you back to talk about other topics. I know like we were just talking about like, um, you know, donorship, but like as far as like, I know you also are an expert when it comes to like helping families with like adoption and, you know, embryo adoption too, right? Mm -hmm. As well. Well, embryo adoption, this, this is really important for your listeners to hear. So embryo donation is donating your embryos to another family. Mm -hmm. There are a group of organizations that do place embryos for adoption, but they are Christian right-wing organizations that will Mm -hmm. only accept Christian heterosexual couples and they, the way they prove that an embryo is not a ball of cells with the potential to be a life, but they say it is a person, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pushing the personhood laws, 
is by asking everyone to go through the adoption process with the embryos. So they ask you to have a home study and do all the adoption paperwork. And so the hope is then they will accumulate enough people adopting these embryos to have more uh, and stronger arguments around personhood legislation. Interesting. So they're really kind of fueled by the political parties. The embryo donation groups, which, and there are uh, a bunch of them that are wonderful, and I have, I've had some of my podcast, they they really see an embryo as, you know, an embryo, which is a bunch of cells that have the potential of being lots of things, including a baby. Mm-hmm. And in that case, what's very nice is that you go through a donation process. And for many people who don't have the finances to use donor conception, embryo donation is very inexpensive because you're just paying for the medical piece of it, the transfer and all of that, yeah. you're, you're, you're just, they're just donating their embryos to you. Yeah. And there's lots of Got programs it. that do that now. And it's a really lovely, um, lovely process. It's so frustrating that like so much of this is driven by politics, mm-hmm. you know, like so much of it is just like, cause I, I had no idea. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Um, that under that, yeah. What am I looking for? What's yeah. the word? Distinction. Yeah. There we go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's important for people to know and they don't know. Most people don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Well, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to end. So thank you. <laughs> I was like, look at Sadia. I was like, are you, <laughs> you going to say something? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a couple of sentences that now I can't remember, but they were falling out of my mouth. But anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Geriatric Mamas, for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. Follow, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell a friend because we need your support. All of your support, please. For more info, you can check out our website at www.geriatricmamas.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at geriatric underscore mamas, on Twitter at geriatric mamas, and follow our group page on Facebook, Geriatric Mamas as well as YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. YouTube's on there too. <laughs> For a channel that we're really trying to drive home, we like always forget it. Yeah. <laughs> also to, YouTube. We need to just make sure that's always in our outro. Yeah, it's um, always there. <laughs> if you have a topic idea you'd like us to discuss, are interested in being a guest, or simply have a funny geriatric story to tell, you can submit your inquiry by going to our website and clicking on well, if you're an expert, you can click be our guest. If you have a potential host episode, then click send us your story. Bye, Jessica <laughs> Mama. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been Thank awesome. You. Thank you. You're welcome. So nice to meet you both. Thank you for yes, having me. Yes. Absolutely.